Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Cersei podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and inspires you. Before we get into that message, we want to remind you about just a couple of things. First off, if you'd like to get connected to what God is doing here at the Cersei campus, text the word Cersei to 88000 for more information about what's going on here at our local campus, and you can give online there as well. You can also get connected to life groups and so much more just by texting Cersei to 88000. Now get your Bible apps ready and prepare to hear a great word today. You are new with us uh, or have not been here in a couple of weeks. We are in a series on the life of Christ and the teachings of Christ. And I think sometimes this is a great opportunity, uh, you know, for all of us because we are able to refocus on the original story, the original task. We're able to kind of recenter on on the stories that started all of it. And this is what um, studying the life and the teachings of Jesus does for us. So. If you have not signed up for your, your daily devotionals, please uh, do that. And um, we have a slide now that we can show you how to, how to do that. I'm going I'm to keep on trucking, but you can get information on this now. I don't care if you pull your phone out now and sign up for it. But um, every day we're getting uh, devotions and blogs and scripture readings, and it's all related to the life and teachings of Jesus. So uh, you're able to go with us on, on this journey. I'm going to have you turn to Luke chapter 13 today. If you're using uh, your Bible or an app, uh, you can go there, Luke chapter 13. In our text, just to give you a little bit of backstory, Jesus is in full-fledged ministry mode. Um, he is um, touching people's lives. He's healing people, feeding people, doing incredible works, and he is tired, okay? So um, in, as a matter of fact, the author gives us an idea of how tired he has come to uh, a shoreline, and he has gone and sat by the water, okay, which means he just needed a minute, okay? I don't know if you've ever needed just a minute, but he needed one. And so he goes off to the shoreline to catch his breath and to just kind of take a moment where there was no, no pressure um, upon him. And the crowds continue to find him and seek him out, okay, which you and I would do, do the same thing. You know, we, we would think to ourselves, he's alone now. Maybe we can get a, a minute with him. And so they start to press in around him, and it's so um, obvious that he's needing rest that he gets into a boat, and to just keep from being pressed, he pushes out just a little bit to just, just create some space between him and, and the shoreline. And he starts in this moment, since he's got a crowd, he thinks, I'm not going to waste this moment, I'm going to try to reveal something about the kingdom of, of heaven, which he had come to re- reveal. That was, that was the purpose. So he's going to enter into a parable, and in church land, we talk about parable all of the time, but if you don't know what that is, it's a, just a short story that often has spiritual um, re- relationship with it, and it is only understood through the lens of setting, culture, and context. So if, if you miss the setting, and the culture and the context and the story is just weird to you, okay? Um, but in Luke chapter 13, he's going to try and explain to people who don't 
know about heaven and don't know, and I'm not just talking about a place, but I'm talking about the kingdom of, and so how heaven will invade earth, how do we get uh, heaven to come to earth, how do we have the same relationship with God, if he reigns in heaven, how can he reign in earth, and Jesus is like, I'm going to try to compare this to you and use a parable to, to do that, so in Luke 13, I'm going to read just verse 18 and 19. This is what, it, what he says. Jesus asks, what is the kingdom of heaven like? And I think he's kind of pausing because he's, he's issued this question. What is the kingdom of heaven like? And then he's, it's like he's talking to himself and says, what can I compare it to? And he says, it's like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and he wants to show how great it was, so he says, and the birds perched in its branches, meaning it became so big that nature even decided to move in and find stability there. So this mustard seed thought process, if you've been in church for any length of time, it's not foreign to you. Uh, you look at it, you kind of get it immediately, uh, what he's talking about. But Jesus is living in a farming culture, and everyone knows about the mustard plant, all right? And everyone knows about its smallness. As a matter of fact, if, if, if you hold a mustard seed on the tip of, of your finger, um, you can have some difficulty seeing it. You may have to squint and look through the bottom lens on your glasses, to be able to, to see it. But it can grow anywhere from 8 to 12 feet tall, which for a garden plant is big. And so he's not saying this tree is huge like, like, like an oak tree, but what he's trying to compare is how it started and how it ends. That there is value in smallness. That there is something powerful and that God can design and use in the smallest of things, even a small thought or an idea or an amount or a giftedness, some kind of ability in, in you that to you can be very small and even cause you to be insecure about it. But when you turn it over to God, when you put it into spiritual soil that His hand has cultivated for you, it can explode. And he's saying, the mustard seed, so small. And I think he's talking to this crowd of farmers, and he's saying, you guys know what I'm talking about. When you put it in the ground, and suddenly it grows to 12 feet tall, isn't that something that is is amazing? That even the birds would come and dwell inside of it. The point Luke wants the reader to get is this is how the kingdom of God expands. And I want to pause here for just a moment because there have been, and we've talked a lot about about this pandemic and almost the psychology of it, but it has greatly impacted churches to the point that people have, have thought, are we even being effective right now in this kingdom? And I want you to know that just as nature can take over a system that God put in place, can take a seed this small and turn it into a 12-foot tree. He can do the same with anything spiritually. 
And so it's not solely upon our backs. Yes, we're the hands and feet of Christ. Yes, we need to be evangelistic. Yes, we need to break bread together and talk about the goodness of God. Yes to all of those things that you're thinking right, right now. However, there is something that is ahead of us. The spiritual principle of the kingdom ever expanding. I want you to think about about this principle because we are witnesses, personal witnesses, to the fulfillment of this parable. Here we are 2,000 plus years post-resurrection, and it's because of the faithful men and women who shared this story continually through generation and generation that we're even here in a location this morning together talking and sharing about the same stories they talked about and shared about 2,000 years ago. This is what we need to, to know from this. God can do a lot with a little. And I want to transition this for just a moment and get your mind thinking, but you may be here today and personally you have all kinds of insignificance in your life. You think to yourself, I am so insignificant as I'm compared to other things. As I'm compared to other people or what other people have done with their life's energy And I look at where I am in life, and it seems like I am not doing a good job. I am very insignificant. I am small in comparison. This can play out in a lot of ways. Maybe you don't feel confident enough, gifted enough, connected enough, wise enough, wealthy enough spiritual enough. You don't feel Bible smart. You feel like every Sunday you come in here and you just feel dumb. You feel small. And the lie that comes from that, how many of you know that you can believe a lie that you've told yourself? And so the lie that comes from this is, if I had more, I would do more. If I had more of whatever the blank is there, I would be more. Have more, do more, be more. And we've talked many, many times from this stage about appetite and how appetites always want more. This is how we we think. We want more. More of what's good and feels great and brings peace and brings margin, brings comfort and brings happiness. We want more of those things. And somehow this works its way into our mind. If I had more, I would do more, be more, etc. Dr. Carolyn Leaf says this. She calls this thinking in extremes, which is not mind-blowing. But here's what she goes on to say. It tends to lead us into an all-or-nothing black or white Toxic thinking habit. When we say if I had more, I would do more, it doesn't leave any margin for in, in between those two things. The distortion there of if I had more, I would do more sets an unreasonable rule in our minds in which anything less than 100% is 0%. 
Let me give you an, an, an example of this. When we talk about generosity here and we talk about, about giving, it's, it's surprising, and th- this is statistically correct. It's like if you have $100 to give to a church or a cause, and just so you know, I'm not trying to bait you. Let's just talk about, let's, let's say it's St. Saint, Saint Jude's instead of our church. You got $100 to give to cancer research. So you get that $100 out, and you put it in an envelope, and you gladly seal it, and then you're excited. $100. I mean, I'm, I'm contributing. But let's say you've only got five. The, 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 the tendency, statistically, is that you won't give that at all. Because you don't think the five has value. Even though it's what you can do, and what you can give, and what you're able but you won't send five dollars to Saint Saint Jude because pride, or it it's embarrassing. You go, that's so small, that's so insignificant. If I had more, I would do more. If I had a hundred, I would give that, but I won't give five. This is what she's talking about: one hundred percent or zero. Like I'm going to give all of it, or I'm going to give nothing at, at at all. Now here's where it gets dangerous. Because this can lead us to a place of self-hatred. You go, man, Kevin, that's heavy. I mean, you're saying like sometimes I hate myself? Yes. You'd be amazed at how many times in our lifespan we look at ourselves, meditate, be introspective, and we go, man, I hate that about myself. Because we're demanding perfection 100% with the only alternative being failure, 0%. There's no middle ground. And this plays out in our church frequently in your relationship with Christ. You say, how so? It plays out like, like this. Well, if I can't be a perfect Christian, I shouldn't even be one. Right? Because Christians are perfect. I mean, look at Kevin. He's perfect. I'll be the first to tell you. My wife will be the second to tell you. She said, I'll be the first. <laughs> we tend to think in terms in, in, in church, we think of like big change, big re- results. I'm saved, I'm free, I'm delivered. And we use, we, we use these big words, big change. But it's actually, listen, small, faithful steps that lead to fruitfulness in your life as a follower of it's not these big moments, man, we prayed through something or we were baptized or this or that. Those moments are great. But what causes you to get to the finish line is just one step at a time. Just Monday, getting up and doing it. Tuesday, getting up and following Jesus. Wednesday, another step. Thursday. And before you know it, it's, it's a year and another year and another year. And you're living life with people. And you're on this journey and things are coming out. Suddenly, fruit is, is bearing for you. Why? Because you prayed a prayer 20 years ago? No, because every day the small, faithful steps are being done. And it's causing fruitfulness to come to you, right? So let's look at this and explore this for just a second. How does the kingdom of heaven work? Well, it starts very small, always. 
most of, of the time, and, and for some of you, it's, it's been so long that you got to think about this, but when you thought about giving your life to Christ, wasn't it just a conversation? Like, like someone shared with you the love of Christ, the Spirit confirmed it in you, you felt it, and you said, I believe in that. And your life has never been the same again. But that one circumstance, very small, when you think about the biblical stories that teach us about smallness, one Hebrew boy gave Jesus a Lunchable, just walks up and hands him his food, and an entire hillside audience gets fed. Something very, very small. Something his mother packed together for him for the day. The Apostle Paul was no spring chicken when he turned his life over. But he gave what was left of his intellect and his influence. And scholars estimate that he planted 14 churches along the Mediterranean Rim. And we know that he penned two-thirds of the New Testament. Smallness. David gave God a slingshot. And you know, we, when I read that story, and it's one of my favorites, but he goes down to the creek and he gets five stones and you can get real excited about it. They said, well, I'll tell you right now, Goliath had brothers. He was going to kill Goliath and then go kill all the brothers. He was a man. You know why I think he packed five? Because he thought if I miss him the first four times, I'm at least going to have one more shot at it. He was going to wear that guy out. But we know when he turned over that small leather strap, God said, I'm going to use your, your, your gift. Imagine, imagine how the tables would have turned if David came onto the scene. You guys recall this, right? He was bringing his brothers a cheese basket. And he hears this giant talking. Imagine if he says, man, you guys are, you guys are in trouble, man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit over here and eat, eat this Colby Jack trio. And I'm going to watch. This is going to be so good. I mean, you guys are going to die today. I hope y'all are prepared to meet Jehovah because this, this ain't going to play out good for y'all. Imagine had he just abandoned that urging on the inside of him to do something. It was very small. Moses and his staff, something that had probably been in his hands since the day he ran away from Egypt, became a major symbol of strength and miracle-working power. The widow gave just a little bit of oil. That's all she had. I'm going to do this, and then we're going to die. I'm, I'm just going to give you what I have left. And you know how, how the story goes. It multiplied and went on and on and on. So from the Hebrew boy and Paul and David and Moses and, and, and the widow, here's the big picture here. God is willing to multiply what you and I are willing to surrender. What we're willing to hand over. And sometimes we're not patient with God. Like, like we'll give Him something and we'll back off and we'll look. And if it's not like out, like popcorn out of a microwave, like three minutes or less, we just take it back. I mean, if you're not going to do something, if you're not going to hurry up, if you're not going to change the scene, then I'll just get my hands back involved in it. But God can only multiply what you and I are willing to truly turn over. Every gift, everything of smallness. When we're willing to turn over the mustard seeds in our life, 
God can take it and do something amazing. And we turn around years later and suddenly there's a tree in our life that is so big and grand and strong and bearing fruit. Big things often start very, very small. We talk about a common name that all of you know and that's Walmart. In 1950, Sam Walton opened a five and dime in Bentonville, 1950. Twelve years later, he looked at his five and dime and he said, I've got more vision. I I, I, want to do more. And if you know anything about him, it was great prices and great customer service. So he was like, I think that we can serve more people. I think we can help more families. So 12 years later, he opened his first Walmart store. He was 44 years old. Five years later, okay, he was 49. He had 24 stores that grossed $13 million in sales for that year. The first Walmart stock, this is going to make some of y'all sick, 1970 sold for $16. This morning it was $140.50. In 1972, just 10 years after existence, he is 54 years old. He has 70 stores and $78 million in sales. 20 years later, in 1992, they were making a billion dollars a week in sales. Today, Walmart has 2 million employees, 12,000 stores in 27 countries, and the Walton family is still the wealthiest family in the world collectively, worth 215 big ones. Some great things can start small. If you believe it, if you turn it over, if you do something with it, If you get it out of your head, I would do more if I had more. Another example of smallness is the the atom. As you learned early in your education, it's made up of three particles, so small you could never, never see it. It's one ten millionth of a millimeter. So small that scientists believed that, that the atom was just a thought rather than something of science. To give you an image, half a million atoms can line up shoulder to shoulder and still hide behind a human hair. Their thickness can be compared to a piece of paper lying next to the Empire State Building. Now listen to this, it's crazy. A single grain of sand contains 22 quintillion atoms. That is the number 22 with 18 zeros behind it. I say this to remind us that God designed something small to uphold everything in our universe. That there is power in the small things. In Zechariah, Zerubbabel comes onto the scene and he says, I'm going to rebuild this temple. And some of the people were cynics because they they could only see very small progress day to day to day. And in Zechariah 4 and 10, he challenges them, do not despise small beginnings. And maybe you need to hear this today in your heart. When you look at your life and what you're capable of doing and what God has called you to do, what he's asked of you. But to you, you're like that person who's got five bucks and they're St. Jude, cancer research. How is my five dollars going to affect a children's hospital? So insignificant. I mean, I can't even buy a grande 
drink at Starbucks for $5. It's more like 35 Luke 16.10, he says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. When you take that little thing in your life and you hand it over to God, it's a test. It's a test of faith. Can God trust you with more? I'm going to turn over that $5 bill to St. Jude. I'm going to start with something. I'm going to open a door for somebody. I'm going to pour a cup of coffee. I'm going to ask my waiter this week if I can pray over them. I'm going to do something with, with the smallness. As we are faithful with what we have, God multiplies it. God can do a lot with a little I tell you, the, this says in Matthew 17, 20, I tell you the, the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, then he, he goes on and he says, nothing will be impossible. That's all it takes. And you and I, again, we're caught in this thing of perfection or failure and Christ is trying to re, re, remind us that's not how the kingdom works. If you'll just believe a little bit, If you just take one step toward what God is doing for you, He will multiply it. He will take you further. He will show you the next step. But it starts with your obedience with the smallness. If you're new to us today and you know nothing about our church, we're a multi-site church. Right now there are 18 campuses in the state of Arkansas, and it started very small. Our lead pastor, Pastor Rick, and a few families had coffee and dessert. They talked about God with families. They ended up, they renovated a car dealership at the original campus in Conway. Maumel came after that. They renovated an old skating rink. Fayetteville renovated a gym. Russellville renovated a flea market. Our first campus was a carpet store. Many campuses started in schools. But last Christmas, 38,000 people poured into those 18 campuses to have a candlelight service. It's like you can't explain it. It's just that people love people. And they just kept saying, hey, come with me. Come to my church. Come learn something. Come be. God can do a lot with a little. Because nothing in the kingdom of heaven remains small. Second thing, the kingdom of heaven not only starts with something small, but it expands invisibly. And this bothers us. Because we love to visually learn. I mean, my wife can tell me something. We just came out of building a home. She can tell me what something looks like, but I don't don't get it. But when she shows me, it's like a eureka moment. I'm with you now. I'm on the same page. This is how we do with the kingdom of heaven sometimes. If you show me how many people were there, how many people were baptized, how many marriages were changed, how many children are we teaching on on a, a, a weekend, how many counseling sessions are done in a week to try to save some homes. And on and on and on and on. Give a, a, a metric to it over and over. But everything in the kingdom 
cannot be played out with that because it expands in, invisibly. In Luke 17 and 20, he says, One day the Pharisees asked him, When will the kingdom of God come? And Jesus replied, The kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. Verse 21, he says, You will not be able to say, Here it is, or it's over there. And then he goes on and says, It's already among you. I love that. I want to share that with you today. The kingdom of God is already at work in you right now. He's in our church. He's in other churches. He's in our our community. He's in your business. He's already at work. No one can see a seed in the ground, but irregardless, it works. And so much of God's work happens beneath the surface. It goes unseen and unnoticed. This is why Paul told the the church at Corinth in uh, chapter 4 and verse 18 of 2 Corinthians. He said, we fix our eyes on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The things that you cannot see in your life is actually the good stuff. Let me explain what some of those are. Every time you choose to be faithful to your spouse, that's the kingdom of God at work in you. It's unseen. It's a decision that you made. It's confirmed in your heart. But it's happening. It's the kingdom of God with invisibility. Every time you serve a family, it doesn't even have to be through something we're sponsoring. Every time you feed somebody, clothe somebody, speak life into someone, pray over someone, it doesn't matter where you are. You don't have to have anything NLC about it. When, when, When you do it, the kingdom of heaven is among you. No one may ever see that stuff. Every time, if you're here today and you're a a teenager, a young adult, every time you resist temptation, every time you say, no, there's a better way for me. This isn't the way that I want this to look. When you do that, that's the kingdom of God with invisibility, but it works in your life. Anytime you are generous, and it could be with your time, with your talent, with that $5 to St. Jude. Your generosity, never seen by anybody but you and your family. But that's the kingdom of God. You know, when you decide to to forgive somebody, no one sees that stuff. That's between you and God. Those times at night when the phone's off and the lights are off and the house is finally quiet and you're going over and you say, God, i got to let this stuff go. It's so toxic to me. I'm, I just forgive. I just I let it go. That's the kingdom of God and invisibility. When you love your neighbor, when you go the extra mile, those are all things. The kingdom of God is among us. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, the NIV says it this way. He says, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Give yourself fully to the work of of the Lord. Because you know, he says, that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Everything you do is seen. 
by the one that matters. All those small things, all those mustard seeds for your life, all those prayers that you, you pray, all the things that don't have pomp and circumstance, all the things that aren't done under lights. God is saying, that's the mustard seed of your life that I want that expands the kingdom. So I pray today that God gives us eyes to see and a mind to understand that when we do something good, in Jesus' name, it has eternal power to it. And that's my challenge to you this morning. And I'm going to pray over you. But that, that's, that's my challenge to you. Is to say, God, there are things in my life. I, I have been a thinker that has said 100% or nothing at all. Perfection or failure. I believe God's calling us to balance and saying, why don't you start by just putting one foot in front of the other? Just take, take a step. Mustard seed. Take whatever it is that he's speaking to you right now and just, just do it. Drop it in the soil. Take a chance. Make a move. Let God bless it. Let God multiply it. Turn over those little things, and you'll turn around and see trees blooming everywhere in your life through faith. God, I thank you today that you love us enough to say, hey, you think you're not important, but you are. And you think you're not loved big, but you are. And you think you're not gifted, but you are. So today, God, I pray right now over this service, over every small thing in this room. Maybe it's a vision you gave somebody as a kid. Maybe it's a dream someone's had that they've just, now in their adult years, have played off as nonsense. Maybe life's been so hard to somebody in here. They've said it's just impossible. God, today we open our hands to the small things. A lunch, an intellect, a staff, a slingshot, a little bit of oil that's left. And we just ask you to multiply it, do something with it. Change somebody's life today, Lord. Put somebody on a new path, on an exciting journey. Change the whole trajectory of somebody's life in this moment. We thank you for that, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys stand with me today, will you?